My wife and I went to a prayer meeting. We attended every Sunday night. Nothing unusual about the night. We came home. Uh, now, at this point, I had never studied the topic of hell. I have never gone to dark movies. I've never drank. I've never taken drugs. And I never had a vision before. And we went to bed. I got up at 3 o'clock in the morning to get a glass of water. And I was walking through our living room towards the kitchen. And suddenly, I was pulled out of my body, like being drawn up out of your body. And I found myself falling through the air down this long tunnel. And it was getting hotter and hotter and darker and darker. And I entered this open cavern-like area, and then I landed on an actual stone floor in a prison cell in hell. It was that rough-hewn stone walls, bars, uh, filthy, stinking, dirty prison cell. But see, Isaiah 24, 22 says, And they shall be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit and shall be shut up in the prison. Proverbs 7, 27 mentions going down to hell to the chambers of death. The word chambers means inner rooms. Job 17, 16 says, They shall go down to the bars of the pit. Jonah 2, 6, The earth with her bars was about me forever. The Tyndale, the New International Commentary, and many others point out that Jonah himself was at the gates of hell, and it was literal bars and gates. Well, that's where I first found myself. And the first thing I noticed was the intense heat. Far beyond the ability to sustain life, I wondered, how could I be alive in this place? So my first reaction was to get up and run. I wanted to get up and run out of this prison cell, this dungeon. But I noticed I could hardly move. I thought, what's wrong with my body? It took so much effort to move. But see, Isaiah 14, 9 and 10 says, Hell from beneath is moved to meet thee at thy coming. They will say, Art thou become weak as we? Psalms 88, 4 says, I am counted with them that go down into the pit. I am as a man that has no strength. Now, if you ever had the flu and you felt weak, it's a thousand times worse than that. Any movement takes tremendous effort in hell. But see, Acts 17, 28 says, in him we live and move and have our being. So even movement comes from God. It's not automatic. I looked up and I saw these demons in the cell, reptilish in appearance, bumps and scales all over the one's body, huge uh, eyes, uh, huge claws about a foot long. And these particular two are about 12 or 13 feet tall. That's not an exaggeration. There's even scripture for that, but I'll keep moving. And they were pacing in the cell like a vicious, caged animal. They had the most ferocious demeanor about them. And they were blaspheming and cursing God. They had an extreme hatred for God. But we know blasphemy comes from the demonic realm. Revelation 13, 6, James 2, 7, and some others. Then they directed that hatred they had for God, they directed towards me. I wonder why. What have I done to them? But the one demon picked me up and threw me into the wall of this prison cell. I hit the wall. I had felt as if bones had broken. I collapsed on the floor, and I wondered, how could I be alive through this? I should be dead. But I have to explain one thing. I understood most of the pain was being blocked. The Lord explained on the way back that he blocked most of the pain that I would have felt from hitting the wall, but he did allow me to feel a small amount of the pain so I could relate to people that it's not metaphorical. It's not a state of the mind. It's real, literal pain you're going to feel in hell. And then this other demon picked me up and dug its claws into my chest and just tore the flesh open. This is actually happening to me. And again, I wondered, why am I not dead from this? I, know, I looked, I had a body, 
Matthew 10, 28 says, Fear him who was able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And remember Luke 16, the rich man Jesus talked about, he wanted a drop of water to cool his tongue. He had a mouth to speak. He had a tongue. He had eyes to lift. You have a body in hell, but it withstands these torments. But something else I noticed, there was no blood or water coming from the wounds. But see, Leviticus 17, 11 says, The life of the flesh is in the blood. Well, there's no life in hell, so there's no blood. And Zechariah 9.11 says, Thy prisoners out of the pit where there is no water. There's not one drop of water in hell. And these demons have no mercy over you whatsoever. They have an extreme hatred for mankind. But we know Psalms 103.17 says, The mercy of the Lord is upon those that fear Him. Well, they don't fear Him, so you don't derive the benefit of mercy. About this time, it went dark. Now, I believed it was God's presence there to illuminate it so I could see. But then God withdrew his light, and it resumed its normal state of absolute pitch black darkness. But Lamentations 3, 6 says, He has set me in dark places as they that be dead of old. Jude 13 mentions blackness of darkness forever. But it wasn't just dark. You could actually feel it. That's not an exaggeration. Exodus 10, 21 mentions a darkness that may be felt. It just seems to penetrate through every cell in your body. Uh, and you cannot see the hand in front of your face. I was taken out of this prison cell. I was placed over next to this large raging pit of fire. This pit was about a mile across with flames raging high up into this open cavern. And it was not metaphorical or allegorical flames. It was real fire. I felt the heat. I saw the flames. But more importantly, it's what the Scripture says. Psalms 11:6 6 says, Upon the wicked he will rain fire and brimstone and a horrible tempest. Psalms 140, verse 10, let burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into the fire, into deep pits. Matthew 13, 49, the angels so sever the wicked from the just and cast the wicked into a furnace of fire. And many more scriptures on the fire, but this is where I could first see people. Through the pit, I could see the outlines of thousands of people inside this pit burning. Now, most of us have never seen a person on fire. It's the most horrendous sight. But these people were burning. You could not distinguish a man from a woman. It just looked like skeletons with, it appeared like flesh hanging off their bones. And they were screaming so loud you want to get away from the screams, but you have to endure that for all eternity. But see, Isaiah 57, 21 says, There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. There's no peace of mind, no peace of any kind. But see, Isaiah 32, 18 says, My people dwell in a quiet resting place. You're not his people. So you don't derive the benefit of quiet. I understood I was down deep in, the, deep in the earth. I descended to get there. I ascended when I left. But more importantly, there's 49 scriptures that talk about where the current hell or Sheol is the Hebrew word. Uh, Hades is a Greek word. There's 49 verses. I'll just give you two. Ezekiel 26, 20, number 16, 32, and 33. It's very clear it's down deep in the earth, but I understood that. And I understood there were different levels of torment and degrees of punishment. And you remember Jesus said in Matthew 23, 15, 23, 14, uh, you shall receive the greater damnation, inferring there's a lesser damnation. Or Matthew uh, 10, 15, he said, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city, inferring there's a less tolerable. Hebrews 10, 28 says, of how much worse of a punishment suppose it shall be for you, you who have trodden underfoot the Son of God. There's a worse punishment. But my point is there is no tolerable, comfortable level in hell. Any level is far worse than you can imagine. I wanted to talk to my wife, 
I wanted to just let her know where I was at, but I understood I'll never get that opportunity. See, Job 7, 9 says, he that goes down to Sheol shall come up no more. You have the understanding you're not going to get out. And you don't realize how tormenting of a thought that is to have no finality with your family. You can never say goodbye to them, never tell them you love them, never hug them, nothing. And they don't know that you still exist. See, death does not mean cease to exist. Death means separation from God if you don't know Jesus. You still exist. You're just down deep in the earth. And to not be able to say goodbye and to live with that thought forever was extremely tormenting. I wanted to talk to a person, just anybody, right? There's pleasure in conversation and being with people. But in hell, you're denied that. See, even though I saw all those people in the pit, they're all kept at a distance from each other. So you have no conversation. You're just isolated and alone all by yourself for all eternity. You have no purpose, no destiny. It's just a complete useless wasting away. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, There is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in Sheol. And it doesn't matter if you're somebody famous here. No one would know who you are there. You have no identity. Again, Ecclesiastes 6.4 says your name is covered in darkness. Uh, you're completely forgotten. Psalms 88.12, Isaiah 26.14, Deuteronomy 32.26. Many verses talk about being forgotten. And you don't realize even that's tormenting because nobody up on the earth has given you a thought. Am I right? You don't think about people in hell, do you? No, nobody does. Even if you go to a funeral today, no matter what the religion, it's usually stated, well, they've gone to a better place. But that's not the case. Jesus said in Matthew 7, many are going to hell and few are going to heaven. Um, it's a place of confusion. Jeremiah 20, 11, Isaiah 45, 16 mention everlasting confusion. Job 10, 22, a land without any order. You know how we like things in order in life, Right? because we serve a God of order. Well, hell is the antithesis. Hectic, chaos, confusion. Nothing makes any sense in hell. The stench is the most foul, putrid, disgusting odors, worse than any open sewer you have ever smelled. And remember, Jesus rebuked the foul spirits. Demons have a disgusting, foul odor to them, but also the smell of uh, rotting corpses, rotting flesh. And there's scripture for this too, but I'll keep moving there. Uh, there's also, you're breathing in uh, sulfur. And if you go to Hawaii to the volcano, they have signs posted where you cannot go past a certain point because the toxicity of the sulfur coming up, it will kill you. It's called sulfur dioxide. It's toxic to breathe. Well, sulfur is just another word for brimstone. So you're breathing in this foul, putrid, disgusting air that you don't want to breathe. But it's even worse than that. There's not enough air in hell to breathe. You can't take a nice deep breath. You don't get to do that in hell. And maybe only an asthma patient can relate to this, or a fireman. This is how you breathe in hell. It was like, that was as much air as you could get. Well, that's not enough. You feel like any moment you're going to suffocate. So you have that ongoing feeling of suffocation. But see, Isaiah 42.5 says, the Lord gives breath to the people upon the earth. You're not upon the earth. You're down deep beneath the earth. God is very specific with his word. You need to sleep in hell. And I was only there 23 minutes, but I felt like I was there 23 weeks without going to sleep. And if you ever stayed up for two nights without going to sleep, I mean, after two days, you can't even function, right? Well, in hell, you need to sleep also, but you never get to go to sleep. 
But see, Revelation 14, 10, and 11 says, And they shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the Lamb and in the presence of the holy angels. And the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night. Now, that primarily means no rest from the torment, but no rest of any kind, because Isaiah 57, 20 says, The wicked are like the troubled sea that cannot rest. You know, the sea is always moving. Well, you can't rest in hell either. But see, rest is a blessing from God. Psalms 127.2 said, The Lord gives His beloved sleep. You're not His beloved. I was standing next to this big pit of fire, and demons were shoving people back in, and people were burning. It was hideous to see people burning like this. Standing next to this big pit of fire, I have to explain something. A pit a mile across on the earth would produce a lot of light here, but in hell it doesn't. It is so dark, it consumes the light from the flames, and you can only see just through it and along the edges. And along the edges, I noticed I was standing beneath a tunnel, a cavern walls that were ascending upward. And all along the cavern walls were demons of all different sizes and shapes, twisted, deformed, grotesque, a hideous-looking creatures, no symmetry to their bodies, one leg bigger than the other, one arm shorter than the other, everything twisted and deformed. And some were only two and three feet tall, some were 12 and 13 feet tall, and there were snakes crawling all over everything. And then I noticed I was standing on a bed of maggots, and maggots were crawling all over everybody and everything. But remember, Jesus said, where their worm dies not. And he used the word maggot, if you look it up in the original, and he also personalized it by saying, their worm. I'm not trying to sensationalize this, I'm just trying to give you a picture a little bit of a picture of what hell's like. See, Isaiah 14, 11 says, where the maggot will be spread under thee and the worm will cover thee. Look it up in the original, it's the word maggot. And I never realized this, but if a dead animal is being eaten by maggots, after the maggots consume the flesh, they die. I never realized that, but they will die after they consume the flesh. That's why Jesus said, where their worm dies not, because the flesh is never fully consumed in hell. So as Job 24.20 says, the maggot will feed sweetly on thee. Is that disgusting enough? You're hungry. You never get to eat. You have to endure that feeling for all eternity. You're thirsty. Remember the rich man wanted a drop of water to cool his tongue? From he, Jesus mentioned in Luke 16. Well, if I was to give you one drop of water, that wouldn't suffice, would it? You wouldn't value one drop. But in hell you would. You do anything for that one drop that you'll never get. The fear that you experience in hell is so far beyond anything any of us have ever experienced. And you know, the Bible says fear has torment. Well, let me 
share with you just a, a, something I went through so you can relate to the fear. I, I just want to get this across because we're comfortable here. And to live in a state of fear, absolute terror for all eternity is really tormenting. I used to surf a lot when I was a teenager. I was 17 years old surfing off Cocoa Beach, Florida. The guy next to me got his leg torn off. Blood all over the water. There were sharks everywhere. I got up on my nine-foot board, and a shark passed by. He was longer than my board. And uh, he came back, and he bit my board in half. Now I was swimming in the water, and there were tiger sharks. If you know anything about tiger sharks, they're vicious. They eat anything. Well, that, that, that's a tiger shark. That shark came back and grabbed my leg and pulled me down under the water. Now, you can imagine the fear that I felt at that moment, right? I mean, even though you're not going through it, you can at least imagine it. Well, that fear that I felt at that moment paled in comparison to what you feel in hell. It, it wouldn't even register in hell. But see, Psalm 73, 18 and 19 says, you cast them down into destruction where they are utterly consumed with terror. You're consumed with this terror for all eternity. But you know, a miracle happened that day. The shark not only opened his mouth and let me go, but I didn't have a mark in my leg. That's a miracle of God. And I was not even a Christian then, but I got saved immediately after that. <laughs> I did. I knew that had to be God. We serve a good and a loving God. Amen. I just want to take one more minute and give you some scripture about being tormented in hell because you might be thinking, come on, Bill, aren't you exaggerating? I mean, that's your idea of hell. No, that's the Bible's idea of hell. So, and the scriptures, what's important for you to hear, not me. I'm just a signpost to point you to the scripture. So can you bear with me for a minute while I give a scripture on being tormented? Okay. Matthew 18, 34 mentions being delivered to the tormentors. Luke 12, 47 says you'll be beaten with many stripes or beaten with few. Psalms 50, verse 22, you that forget God, you'll be torn in pieces. Matthew 24, 51, I will cut him in pieces where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Psalms 116.3, the pains of Sheol have gotten hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. Amos 5.18 and 19, for what good is the day of the Lord to you, judgment day? It'll be darkness, and as a man fled from a bear, and a lion met him. And Job, uh, Psalms 141.7, their bones are scattered at Sheol's mouth. Psalms 49.14, their beauty shall consume away in Sheol from their dwelling. Psalms 32.10, many sorrows shall be to the wicked. Psalms 78.49, I will cast my wrath upon them by sending evil angels among them. Deuteronomy 32.22, for a fire is kindled in my anger and shall burn unto the lowest hell. They shall be burnt with hunger and devoured with burning heat and bitter destruction. I will also send the teeth of beasts upon them with poison of serpents of the dust. Matthew 22:13. bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Luke 19, 27, Jesus said, bring my enemies before me and slay them before me. Luke 20, 18, he said, this stone on whoever falls will grind him to powder. That's Jesus talking about, and he is the stone that will grind him to powder. One more verse, Psalm 74, 20 says, for the dark places of the earth are full of the habitations of cruelty full of the habitations of cruelty. The word cruelty is the word Hamas. 
Look it up in the Strong's, number 2555. It's the word Hamas. We've heard that word before, right? The terrorist group Hamas. That word means ruthlessness, violence, cruel hatred, and destruction. So for the dark places of the earth are full of the habitations of ruthlessness, violence, cruel hatred, and destruction. And I say, Bill, why would God make such a horrible place? Well, Jesus said why. In Matthew 25, 41, he said, hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. He never intended for man to go there. But he used the word prepared, same word he used in John 14, 2, where he goes to prepare a place for us in heaven or make ready. So what he did in the preparation was, you see, James 1, 17 says, every good and perfect gift comes down from above from the Father of lights. So every good thing we enjoy, the fresh air, sunshine, fellowship, drinking, eating, sleeping, all the good comes from God. It's not automatic. So what he did in the preparation, he simply withdrew his goodness or his attributes. See, hell is dark because 1 John 1, 5 said God is light. There's only death in hell because John 1, 4 said God is life. There's only hatred in hell because 1 John 4, 16 said God is love. There's no mercy in hell because Psalms 36, 5 says the mercy of the Lord is in the heavens. There's no strength in hell because Psalms 18, 32 said it's the Lord that gives us strength. There's no water in hell because Deuteronomy 11, 11 says water is the rain of heaven. And there's no peace in hell because Isaiah 9, 6 says he is the prince of peace. So see, if God removes himself from this situation, all the good goes with him. You can't have the good without God. You can't separate the two. You see that? Other than one thing, the fire in hell does represent God's wrath. All through the Scripture, the Bible says that God pours out His wrath on sin in the form of fire. But God poured out His wrath on Jesus on the cross so we wouldn't have to take that wrath. So you can either let Jesus take it or you can take it. Your choice. So when people look at the oceans, the trees, the mountains, and they say, oh, isn't Mother Nature wonderful? No, that's not Mother Nature. That's Father God that provided all that goodness. Amen? Yeah. As I was looking at all this horror, darkness, demons, tormenting maggots, disgust, something began lifting me up, lifting me up this tunnel. And this absolute pitch black darkness suddenly this bright light appeared. Now, I knew immediately who it was. I had no doubt in my mind. When Jesus shows up, you have no doubt in your mind who it is. I just called out his name. I didn't see his face. That's right. I did not see his face. I just saw the outline of a man standing in a bright, pure, holy-looking light. It was like no light I had ever seen. And I just called out his name. I said, Jesus. And he said, I am. When he said, I am, I went out. I don't know if I died or passed out. I can only explain it through Revelation 1.16. When John saw him, he said, his countenance was bright as the sun, and I fell at his feet as one dead. Well, after time, he touched me, and I came to, and at his feet, it hit me so strongly. Even though I've been a Christian at that point for 28 years, I, th I thought, Lord, if you wouldn't have gone to the cross, I would be in that place for all eternity. I was so grateful for the cross. I just wanted to thank him. I didn't want to ask him any questions. I just said, thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross. Thank you for giving your life for me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I didn't want to ask him a question, but after a time, thoughts started coming to my mind. And Psalms 139, 2 says, he answers our thoughts afar off. And I thought, Lord, why did you send me to this horrible place? 
He said, because many people do not believe hell is real. He said, even some of my own people do not believe hell exists. That statement surprised me. I thought all Christians believe in hell, but we have found out since many Christians believe in, like I said, annihilationism or universalism. That's a teaching that says everybody gets saved and everybody goes to heaven or soul sleep. There's many false teachings. And the Lord wanted me to point people to the scriptures. Again, I'm just a signpost. Check out the scripture for yourself so you can avoid this horrible place. I said, Lord, why did those demons hate me so much? He said, because you're made in my image and they hate me. John 15, 18, Jesus said in John 15, 18, they hated me before they hated you. See, demons hate God, but they can't hurt him, but they can hurt his creation. That's why Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But he said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So we serve a good God. You know, the devil's the one that does the destruction, the evil, and the wickedness. But Jesus came that we'd have a blessed, good life. Thank God we serve a good and a loving God. Amen? That's right. I thought, Lord, I don't want to tell anybody about this experience. They're going to think I'm crazy. He said, it's not your job to convict their hearts. It's the Holy Spirit's. He said, you just go and tell them. I said, yes, sir, I'll go. But I have to admit, I complained for seven years. Now, I only told one, my best friend, and he said, Bill, would you come to my Bible study and share it? And I said, no way. And well, he convinced me to do that three months later. And I thought, okay, I'll do this once. Well, it didn't work out so good, but uh, I shared it and it spread from there. We began getting invited all over the country, my wife and I. There was no book then. And so we traveled, we paid our own way. We never took one penny from anybody for seven years. Then after that, the publisher came to us and asked me to write the book. So it was not something I was looking to self-promote. But I was happy to write the book because I placed in there over 150 verses, 250 verses in our second book, that everything I saw in hell was already in the Bible. So again, that's what's important for people to believe, the, the Word of God. So I was happy to write the book. But I complained to the Lord because I'm a conservative person by nature. I had a real estate business making a lot of money every year. What do I need to travel, pay my own way, and put up with ridicule for? And I complained. And the Lord put up with me for seven years. I went, but I wasn't really willing. And um, he said, Bill, it's not about you being comfortable. It's about you being obedient. Man. Man, that convicted my heart. And now it doesn't matter if I feel uncomfortable at all, because if one person can come to the light of the Scripture and avoid this horrible place, yes, it's worth any uncomfortableness I would ever feel. So whatever God's called you to do, I just encourage you to do it with all your strength because God's given you something to do, that, a talent that I don't have, and it's a team effort. And there are no big shots with God. We're all equally important. I thought, Lord, why didn't I know you? I didn't explain to you that God blocked it from my mind that I was a Christian. You say, Bill, where's that in the Bible? Luke 24, 16, when Jesus appeared to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, it says their eyes were holding that they should not know him. John MacArthur's commentary, Matthew Henry's commentary point out, quote, they were kept by God from recognizing him. God blocked it from their mind. Many examples of that in the Bible, but the point was, here's the reason he blocked it from my mind. You see, if I was there as a Christian, which I was, but I didn't know, I would have known, praise God, he's getting me out of here, right? As a Christian, we know we're going to heaven. I would have known that. He wanted me to experience what they feel, hopelessness. 
See, none of us in life know what it's like to be truly hopeless. Because even if you're in dire pain, you can always die to get out of the pain. But in hell, you understand you'll never get out of the pain. You understand there's nobody can come rescue you. There are no Calvary coming over the hill. There's no angels. There's no God to cry out for. You can grasp that you are in this place forever and ever. Isaiah 38, 18 says, those who go down to the pit cannot hope for thy truth. And we know Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. They have no hope for him because it's too late. Now, I just want that to sink in for a second, the hopelessness, because to never escape, a hundred million years will go by, and it's still day one. Can you see why this is so important, this decision? If everybody here could see hell for five seconds, you would run to the altar and thank God for, your, for saving you. You might say, Bill, but how can this loving God... Well, I'm going to share one more thing first. We went above the earth in this whirlwind tunnel, and there's scripture for that, but the point is, as we came out of this tunnel, people were falling one after another after another back down into hell. And the Lord allowed me to feel a piece of his heart, the anguish he feels for his soul falling into hell. I couldn't even stand to feel a piece of what the Lord feels, the sadness for a person going to hell. See, Ephesians 3.19 says, his love passes knowledge. He loves us far more than we are able to love our loved ones. And he loves every single person, doesn't want anybody to go to hell. And he wept. I said, Lord, stop. I don't want to even feel a little bit of what you're feeling. But he wanted me to remember that, the compassion, the love, and the, what he feels for people. But he's entrusted us with the gospel to share so people wouldn't have to go there. But you still, you might think, Bill, but how can this loving God send a good person to hell? Well, God doesn't send anybody to hell. I'll get to that in a minute. But the standard, good doesn't work for two reasons. See, your standard of good and God's are two different things. James 2.10 says if we offend his law in one point, we're guilty of all. If we lie once, Revelation 21.8 says all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. If we steal one thing, 1 Corinthians 6.9 says no thief will inherit heaven. If we have one lustful thought, Jesus said that's the same as committing adultery, and no adulterer will inherit heaven. Well, that's just three of the Ten Commandments. So if we're going to be judged by that standard of good, would we be guilty or innocent? We all be guilty. There's even a scripture in Proverbs 24.9 that says even the thought of foolishness is a sin. If we have one foolish thought our entire life, that would exclude us from heaven. And that's a pretty high standard, isn't it? So none of us can stand before a holy God and say, hey, I'm pretty good, let me in. He's going to say, no, you're not, not according to my standard. Matter of fact, Job 15, 16 says, man is so filthy, he drinks iniquity like water. Thank God it's not based on being good, but on a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? Because not one of us would be there. But you might not be convinced yet, because a lot of people really struggle with this good thing. And I was on a secular radio talk show, syndicated across America, and they said, Bill, watch your back with this guy. He does not like Christians. And so I went on the air. He says, okay, Christian, don't you quote me one Bible verse over my airwaves. You got that? I said, okay, no problem. He said, I submit to you that you Christians are unreasonable because you don't consider my viewpoint. 
He said, my viewpoint is just as valid as your Christian viewpoint, and I'm a good person, and I should be let into heaven. And if your God doesn't let me in, then he's actually guilty of a hate crime. So what do you got to say for yourself, Christian? Well, what do you say? You're live on the air. Well, God gave me an analogy, thank God, because I couldn't give Scripture. I said, okay, you're, you think you're a good person. You should be let into heaven. He goes, that's right. I said, okay, say you went and found the most expensive home in the country, knocked on their door, and said, uh, excuse me, but I'm moving in with you because I'm a good person. What do you think the people would say? No, right? You have no relationship with them. I said, but you, you go through your whole life. You have nothing to do with God. You deny Jesus as a son of God, which he said is the only way to his house. Then at the end of your life, you have the nerve to come knock on his door, demand to live there because you're a good person. What does good have to do with it? You don't know him. You have no relationship with him. I said, you know, God offers to be your father throughout your whole life. He offered, but you pushed him away. You said, no, I don't want you. I'm not interested. So see, God is your creator. He's not your father to invite in Jesus as your savior. Then he becomes your father. Galatians 3.26, John 1.12, John 8.44, Romans 9, 7 and 8, John 17, 9, Ephesians 5, 1, all explain that he's your creator. He's not your father to you invite him in. So that's unreasonable to expect to live at someone's house you don't even know. He says, well, you Christians are narrow-minded. You think you're the only ones that's right. And he says, I think all roads lead to heaven. That's what I think. I said, well, let me give you another analogy, which God gave me. Thank God. I said, say you invited me over to dinner to your home, and you said, Bill, I want you to go south on 405, turn right at Culver, go up the hill, you'll come to my house. But that's the only way to get to my house. And I say to you, you know what? I think I'm going to go north on the 405. I'm going to get off at Beach Boulevard because I think all roads lead to your house. That's what I think. Well, you're going to tell me, Bill, you're not going to get to my house. I'm trying to give you clear directions to my house. Well, the same thing. God gives us clear directions to his house. I think God knows where he lives, <laughs> right? That's not narrow-minded, that's specific. He's trying to get us to his house, not keep us out. See, people think God's up there arbitrarily saying, well, this one goes to heaven, this one goes to hell. It's not that way. All of us above the age of accountability are automatically on the road to hell. John 3, 17 and 18 says we're condemned already because we're born in sin. Psalms 51, 2. So that's different than being sent there. We're already going there. That's why Jesus came was the plan across right in the middle of that road that we're all on. So all we have to do is look up to the cross, repent of our sin, and receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and he'll take us off that road. This went on for 10 more minutes with different analogies with this guy, but at the end, he, I got through to him a little bit. He didn't get saved, but I, I did get through to him, and thank God. But, you know, this is the clear directions to heaven. John 3.36 says, He that believes in the Son has everlasting life, but he that believes not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. You have to know the Son. How do you do that? Just two verses. Jesus said in Luke 13, 3, unless a man repent, you shall all likewise perish. What does repent mean? Repent means to have a humble heart and admit, man, I'm a sinner. I can't save myself, but I'm willing to turn away from sin and follow Jesus. Now, on your own, you can't resist sin, but when you get born again, God gives you a new heart, a new nature, and he gives us the grace or the ability to stand against the sin. 
But right now, you just have to be willing to say, I want to turn away from sin. Lord, help me. I want to turn away and follow you. That's a repentive heart. Number two, Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God's raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. You have to confess him with your own mouth and believe it in your own heart. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. You want to live at his house? You do it his way. There's only one way. Now, if you say, Bill, I just don't believe that. Well, then I have a verse for you. Revelation 21.8 says, all unbelievers shall have their part in the lake of fire. There's the warning. He just told you, if you don't believe Jesus is the only way, you don't believe the Bible, then he said, your part will be in the lake of fire. Now you can see why Jesus said in Matthew 12.37, your own words will condemn you. See, you said, I don't believe the Bible. So God's not sending you to hell. Your own words condemn you to hell. He's provided a way out. It's not your sin that's keeping you, sending you to hell. It's the rejection of the provision for your sin, Jesus Christ. Revelation 20:15 says, Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. God actually has a book, and he's going to look to see if our name is in it. You know, just like when you go to a hotel and... If you have a reservation, they say, oh, your name's here. Yes. You don't have your name in it. They say, I'm sorry, your name's not here. Your name, God has a book. And the worst words you could ever hear would be for him to say, your name's not in my book because you chose to push me away. And because I loved you, I gave you that free will to choose. I didn't make you a robot. I told you how to stay out of hell. I provided a way to heaven. I sent people across your path throughout your whole life. You had churches everywhere. You had the Bible to look at. I even gave you dreams and visions. As Job 33 says, he'll give man dreams and visions to keep back his soul from the pit. God does all those things to people throughout their whole life. And they say over and over, I'm not interested. I'm not interested. Not interested. They push him away. He wouldn't want to say those words. But because he loves you, he gave you that free will. You know, when the, when the Titanic set sail, there were all different walks of life on that ship, all different beliefs, all different religions, and three classes of people. But when the ship went down at the Star Line office in Liverpool, England, there were two signs posted. And the relatives would wait each day as a man would come out and write their names down, their relative or their friend's name down on one of the signs. One sign said, known to be saved. The other one said, known to be lost. Now, when the ship left, there were all different beliefs, all different religions, and three classes of people. But in the end, there's only two. You're either saved or you're lost. <laughs> 